0: Celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
1: Hi, I'm Rick Martinez. I am a cookbook author and lover of delicious, fine French pastry. And I have to say, they love me too.
2: <laughs> and I'm
3: Carla Lolly Music. I'm also a cookbook author, video host, and my favorite flavor of ice cream is. Drum roll, coffee mocha chip.
1: Wow, yum. And this is Borderline Salty, the show where we take your calls, boost your confidence, and make you a better, smarter, and happier cook.
3: Today, we'll give our very strong opinions about bean-soaking methods and weigh in on how much salt is too much salt.
1: I mean, this is borderline salty after (laughs) all.
3: But before we get into all that, Rick, tell me something good.
1: Well, I have something great. I am in New York City, and you are three feet away from me, which is the first time this has happened in a long, long, long time. It is great to be back in New York. And one of the things that I have missed so much is eating amazing food in this city. So I've been eating my face off, which, I mean, that's what you do. But one of the things that struck me is eating at so many amazing new restaurants back-to-back I have a new appreciation for front of the house and service and what they actually do to the experience. Yeah, I mean, without a doubt, every place that I've been has had exceptional service. But one place in particular has a very different style, and it impacts the customer and their relationship with other diners. And so I ate at Bonnie's a few days ago. And all of the staff, the GM, the bartender, the servers, were welcoming us into their home mm. for a house party. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it had the effect of opening up the diners to talking to people around them as if they were all guests at the same party. And so the vibe was very much social and there was a lot of interaction between tables and you could walk to different tables and talk to different people. And it was just so welcoming and so comforting and it just I mean that coupled with the incredible food just made me want to stay there yeah and it's one of the first times I think that I will want to return to a restaurant not only for the food but because of the front of the house staff and not even the service just like to see these people again that now I feel like are my friends
3: That is so incredible. That is, like, such a huge reason why we love to eat out. Like, you are in a room with people having fun, enjoying food, and I've always said, if you, you could take me to a restaurant where the food is incredible, but the service is, like, cold and formal and standoffish, and I'm never going to want to go back. You could take me to a restaurant where the food is, like, actually okay, but the service is amazing, and, I'm yours forever.
1: Yeah, 100%. So, Carla, (laughs) you tell me something great.
3: Well, this weekend, we had a very special family birthday celebration. My dad turned 80. My sister, their birthdays are 10 days apart, so we always celebrate together. And my sister is pregnant, so it's like a very exciting time. He's got this big milestone. The family is growing. And... Going back a few years, my dad is a cancer survivor. He does not have cancer anymore, but there was a time when he was really sick and we like didn't know how many more of these birthday celebrations we had. And there was one time in particular where he was in the hospital and <laughs> I came to visit him and he like 100% waited for my mom to leave the room and called me in and he was like, "Carla, we have to drink the wine. And I was like, I know, <laughs> we have to drink the wine because he loves wine, he loves to collect wine, and not in like a super precious way, but in a way of like, we're this is to be enjoyed, you know? And It just took on, like, a new urgency. So ever since then, we've been really good about drinking the wine. And this weekend was just because it was also a special occasion. He broke out some bottles that he was very excited about. And it was just so fun and a celebration, just a reminder of, like, you're not waiting for that good time. Like, you're having that good time. That good time is right now. Drink the wine.
1: Drink the wine. Enjoy life. Enjoy each other's company. Exactly. Um, Carla? Yes? Do you know what time it is?
3: Is it time for caller questions? Hi, Rick and Carla. This is so exciting. This is Alexandra, and I'm excited to ask you this question because I love making beans. I always soak them before I cook them. My grandfather said always use the soaking liquid. Others say throw it out, makes them less gassy. That's part one. My other question for you is
2: I was told by Rancho Gordo and others not to add any acid until later in the cooking to make the beans cook better and softer
3: and not be as hard. So I'm just wondering, if you're cooking in a pressure cooker or even in a pot on the stove, what is the best order of operations to make the creamiest, most delicious and flavorful beans? Thanks. God, I love beans. Same. I love them so much. Same. I can eat beans every day.
1: Anytime. Okay, so
3: I, I already
1: know that this is a, it's not really a controversial topic, but we definitely have opposing viewpoints on this.
3: Yes. And it's okay, there's more than one way to skin a cat here. So the first part <laughs> is like, to soak or not to soak. And I'm on the record, I'm a super soaker, love to soak.
1: I, I don't even know what that word means.
3: <laughs> well, I am going to start by making my case for soaking. I truly believe, after many years of trial and error, that soaking the beans overnight makes them cook more quickly and cook more evenly. Period. I rest my case.
1: Okay. You know, it's like a sponge, right? So Mm -hmm. if you take a dry sponge and you drop it into a glass of water, it is going to absorb all the water and be filled with water. So if you had a desire to take a bite out of the sponge, guess what you would taste? water. <laughs> I, don't,
3: I don't agree. The bean used to be filled with whatever it, before it got dried, it was filled with something and that something was liquid. So are you telling me that a fresh cranberry bean
2: is?
1: I'm telling you that if you drop the, the dry sponge into a glass of delicious, rich chicken broth, guess what it would taste like? Delicious rich chicken broth.
3: Okay. Is this why you don't soak or is it deeper than that? No,
1: that I mean, I grew up in a household that we didn't know that soaking was even an option, right? right? The way that you made beans is you put them in a pot and it took three hours or more. That's just the way that it all worked. And like my father has his mother's bean pot. This pot is probably a hundred years old and he still uses it. Right. And I've, I've I've tried soaking methods. I've cross-tested recipes that call for soaked beans.
3: At this point, Alexandra's question might have been, Rick, could you please explain to Carla why she should stop soaking her beans? Because we would like to hear that. (laughs) So I'm hearing it, and I'm open to it. But now, whatever we did, we now have beans that we're going to put in the pot. I use my soaking liquid. I think you would agree, throwing away the soaking liquid is tomfoolery. Foolish. Foolish. If you're someone who gets a little gassy from beans, then it's not about the soaking liquid.
1: (laughs) Right. You're going to get gassy regardless. I mean, the reality is, or at least my reality, my body, it's like, if a bean makes me gassy, it doesn't matter what (laughs) I put in it or cook it in (laughs) or soak it or whatever, I'm going to continue to be gassy.
3: Yeah, and I just know I cook pasta fagioli every Sunday night, and for me, it's something, and for other people in the household, it's it's not, and that's okay. Sunday night, that's what Sunday night is. That's what it is. It's fine. I don't regret it, and it's normal and natural, so just whatever. Soak or don't soak, it's up to you. You might save a little bit of time, but as far as making a delicious creamy bean in my advanced years, like the amount of salt and fat that you can add to the cooking liquid It kind of knows no limit. Beans can take a lot of salt and they can take a lot of fat and they just get better and better and better. So, salt the hell out of it. If you don't have stock, that's totally fine. You know, I like to add thyme and rosemary and bay leaves and a lot of salt and a lot of olive oil. Or if I have, you know, rendered fat sitting around, you know, which I usually do, I'll throw pork fat in there, chicken fat, beef fat. I mean, it's just all fat and salt.
1: Totally agree with that. And, I also like, you did a a recipe with charred lemon, and that was like super delicious.
3: Yeah, so that's Patch Trofer's recipe. It has a lemon that's been cut in half and gets charred pretty hard. And then that goes into the water, which gets us right into the acidity part of this question. Right. I think we both subscribe to the belief that acidity will slow down the tenderizing of the bean and could, like, make them tough longer. So if I'm going to add something acidic like that, whether it's tomato or lemon, I wait usually until the bean is starting to become tender. So, like, maybe an hour, hour and a half into cooking, that's when I would add something acidic. But acidity and beans definitely go together, and it is, like, a lovely thing to add to beans, especially at the very end of cooking, like, tastes so good. Yeah, You just want to remember the formula. Low and slow.
1: Lots of fat, lots of salt. Soak. (laughs) Whatever.
3: Next caller, please. Hi, my name is Holly Prince, and my question is about salt. You know, for so long, I've been told, like, don't add salt. It's bad for your heart. When I watch your cooking videos, Carla, I see you using a lot of salt salt the hell out of it and a lot of salt like the amount of salt that you can add it kind of knows no limit and so i'm wondering what what can you say about the use of salt and how it impacts us because it, it always i find it kind of alarming although everything always tastes really good thanks uh
1: well, we didn't name it borderline salty for nothing.
3: If it's not salted, it's not good. This is like, I think the number one reason why home cooks are like, I don't know, I made it, I followed the recipe, and it just like, it was kind of flat. You are not salting your food enough. And I feel for Holly because the thinking about salt, the tie between salt and hypertension or high blood pressure, has been, like, beaten into our brains because that was the common thinking based on, like, studies done a really long time ago. And the fact is, like, unless your doctor told you to cut back on salt, just, like, let it rain.
1: And, you know, like, science is always changing, right? right. So studies that that were conducted... 50 years ago, say a very different thing. I mean, it's sort of like planets. Like, is Pluto a planet or not, right? Like, every, yeah, right. every when we grew up, it was a planet. Now it's not. Sometimes it is. And then there's like sub planets <laughs> and this, plan- I mean,
3: whatever. The fact of the matter is, is like, it is not necessarily true that salt gives you high blood pressure. If you have high blood pressure, you might be on a special diet. That is fine. But, you know, I think that it is alarming when people see me salting pasta water or, you know, doing what we call the four finger pinch of kosher salt from the dish and really just like letting it go. That's because over time I have learned like how much salt is needed to season my food. And it varies. Like last night I was making a stir fry that I was going to finish with soy sauce and black vinegar at the end. So, throughout the phases of cooking the vegetables first, I season them really lightly because I knew that at the end I was going to add soy. But if I'm making like a pot of beans or mashed potatoes or eggs, like that food needs salt. Yeah. Or
1: you're just going to be really sad. And, you know, and here's the other thing. So I, I also am a firm believer that health is very personal. And you and I are almost exactly the same age. We're a couple of months apart. Mm-hmm. And we have been eating salt and butter and and also lots of vegetables, lots of fiber. Yeah. But we are incredibly healthy. We look great for our age. We have fabulous skin. I we look say. amazing. We look amazing. And, you know, and and to me, my my view on health is— I, I feel very comfortable. I know how my body works and having a good dialogue with your physician yeah. and making sure that there are no problems on the horizon that are coming up. And I, you know, like I have a, a history of hypertension and heart disease in my family. And I've been asking my doctor for decades, like, mm-hmm. okay, when is it coming? When is it coming? Mm-hmm. And he's like, look, if, if it hasn't happened by now, dude, just keep doing what you're doing and you're gonna be fine, at least for the foreseeable future. So, you know what? That's how I'm living my life.
3: Yeah. Have you ever had pasta that you forgot to salt the pasta water?
1: I mean, I've I've had under seasoned pasta.
3: I have forgo- I have wholesale forgotten and it is just it's devastating.
1: How do you recover from that? Do you go to therapy? You don't you
3: literally <laughs> have to like <laughs> I mean anyway, but yes.
1: Line two, you're on.
0: Hi, Rick and Carla. My name is Margarita. The ingredient that freaks me out is tilapia. I don't know how to cook it, so it doesn't taste fishy. Please help me out because it's very inexpensive and I'm a pescatarian and I need help. Ayúdenme, por favor.
1: I'm not a big fan of strong fishy flavors either. So I actually completely, I I know exactly what you're talking about. I will also say that I didn't eat a lot of fish until I moved to Mazatlan. And I realized Mm -hmm. that the reason a lot of times that fish has that strong flavor is because it's just not that fresh. Right. And, you know, now that I'm living by the coast, it's been very eye-opening. Fish that I didn't think that I liked— all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, now I understand why people get so obsessed about fish. It's so delicious.
3: I think the problem that margarita is having is not a tilapia problem. I think it's just like a fresh freshness of fish problem. Because tilapia in and of itself is actually not a very strong flavored fish and is sort of mild. And I think that's why it became such a popular farm fish in the U.S. because it kind of doesn't have a ton of flavor. So if she's detecting a strong fishy flavor from her tilapia, that's a market issue.
1: Totally agree with that.
3: I think there's something else in Margarita's question, which is, she said that she likes to use it or buys it often because it's inexpensive. And there's a clue there, because the reason that tilapia is so inexpensive is because it's a really easy to raise in um, a farmed situation. So... This tilapia is raised in big pens with, you know, crowded conditions, eating soy pellets. Like, this is a fish who has not lived its best life. So when the price is too good to be true, it's like, it, it's because it is too good to be true. It's it's actually not good. So, you know, sometimes a low price is going to be the first indication that maybe the quality isn't there.
1: Right. And, you know, not to say that you have to buy the most expensive fish but, right. you know, I think it is very true in this case, not only fish, but like other proteins. Like if it's, you know, a giant bag of chicken parts or a giant piece of pork and it's 5 to $10, you know, there's a there's a reason. There's a reason.
3: <laughs> exactly.
1: And, and so, you know, it's one of those things where I feel like if you have $10 to spend, I would rather spend that $10 on a smaller piece of higher quality protein that is going to yeah. have good yeah. flavor. And then just build your meal around that and bolster up like the side dishes, the starches, the vegetables, and enjoy that smaller piece of very good quality fish. Carla, we have a live caller.
3: Yay!
1: Hi, Rebecca. Welcome to Borderline Salty.
3: Hi. Thanks for coming on. We're so excited to chat with you.
2: I'm so excited to chat with you guys. Amazing.
1: So we hear you've got a dilemma. Why don't you tell us about it?
2: Sure. So uh, I am absolutely terrified of cooking for other people. But specifically, I have a brother-in-law who is a professional chef. And cooking for him terrifies me the most. Even though he's super sweet, super nice about it, Mm -hmm. loves when people cook for him. Just knowing that I'm cooking for someone who professionally does that, has his own restaurants. Uh-huh. It's, uh huh. It's a little intimidating, to say the least.
3: <laughs> you know, honestly, I feel like that would be stressful for anyone. <laughs> I would be stressed.
1: Honestly, that used to happen to me a lot. When I first started cooking, I was always scared of the people that I thought were better cooks than I am or the professional chef. So I'm curious, like, what kinds of things do you cook for him or have you cooked for him?
2: Well, I basically stick with, like, the basics, tried-and-true recipes from my mom and my grandmother. So, you know, like, Puerto Rican cuisine mostly, empanadas and penil and mm. stuff like that. Yum. Yeah. But I'm uh, quite scared to cook anything outside of the comfort zone.
1: <laughs> How does he react when you make him those, those dishes? They sound amazing. I mean, I would be super excited if you made that for me.
2: Oh, he, he's always, like, super excited, talks it up, and— definitely like gives many compliments, um, which makes me feel good. But yeah, it doesn't make the anxiety go away for the next time. (laughs) Right, right. I
3: have to say, like, I think that as people, we put a lot of pressure to constantly like make a different thing and make something new. And go, you know, break out of the repertoire. And as someone who comes from a family that, like, hates to break tradition, we have an expectation. There are certain meals when I go over to my mom's house, if she were to not make the thing that I love of hers, I would be mad. (laughs) So part of this is, like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know what I mean? Like, if he loves what you're making and you're comfortable making that food and it's delicious, maybe just let go of the pressure you're putting on yourself, because it doesn't sound like he's
2: putting on pressure on you. Oh. oh, no, absolutely not. He's, he's wonderful. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so do you like your empanadas? Do you like your pernil? Oh,
2: yes, I do. I enjoy my food. I I think I do very close to the the original recipes.
1: (laughs) That was a very confident response. Yeah. That I think is the key. And I think that's a big part of cooking, right? It's just, it's about building confidence. Mm -hmm. I feel like when I serve food to other people like that, when I'm confident, when I cook something with love and people can taste that, it makes my food 10 times better than if I cook something that is maybe technically perfect but I don't really have a lot of emotional investment in it. Right. But I think it sounds like you're very emotionally invested in, you know, Puerto Rican food. And I think just lean into that, like own it and and love it and present it and like just show it off to the world. You're good at it.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. I, I that that is the the route that I'm aiming to go on. <laughs> I
3: think Rick is totally right. I think the other thing. Is just really remind yourself that professional cooks, people who cook for a living, people who are expected to always do the cooking, we are so happy when somebody else cooks for us. (laughs) Like when my 12-year-old makes me scrambled eggs and a buttered piece of bread, it's like the best meal That I've ever had. And it could be (laughs) too much pepper or like you overcook the eggs. And it will be the most delicious thing and make me so happy because that's an act of love that he's doing for me. And when I eat at other friends' houses, they say the same thing. And my spouse will remind me, like, oh, they're so intimidated to cook for you. They're so scared. And I'm like, why? Like everything they make is amazing because. He's not sitting at a judge's table. He's sitting at your table. And you guys are having this nice time together. And he's probably just psyched that he didn't have to cook.
2: (laughs) That is what he says.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Believe him. Really, take that to heart. I can see you changing your signature dish for him and have him come over and be like, Oh my God, I was so looking forward to the empanadas. I've been thinking about them for days. I hope that's how he feels.
1: (laughs) I'm sure he does. Yes, Knock him dead.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we'll do. Talk to you again. Good luck. Thank you so much for chatting with me.
0: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. You can listen to the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.
3: So before we go, it's time for one of our favorite borderline salty segments, Rad Fad or
2: Bad Fad.
3: This is the pretty viral grated egg phenomenon that is literally sweeping the TikTok nation. So for our listeners at home who are not watching along with us, what just happened in this quick little video is we started with an olive oil toasted crusty piece of bread onto which a schmear of mayonnaise happens there's the most perfect avocado i've ever seen in my life being cut into the thinnest little slices and then fanned over the crispy bread then we have paper thin slices of red onion and then there's a hard boiled egg that gets shelled and with a regular cheese grater just shaving this hard-boiled egg over the top so it's, like, fluffy, and you see the whites and the yolks. And then the whole thing gets topped with a little more salt and peps, another drizzle of olive oil, cheese. There's cheese of some kind. And then the knife comes through and cuts it in half, and you just see it go through the fluffy top and then crunch through that toasty bread on the bottom. I got to say, it looks really good.
1: You're leading the witness.
3: (laughs) overruled.
1: <laughs> Objection sustained. But no, I totally agree. Kudos to them for getting that absolutely perfect golden brown crust on that bread. The crunch was beautiful. Everything about it, I think, is just yummy. Like, I would I would, 100%. I would pay money to eat that that toast.
3: Yeah, I think it's funny how it's become this, like, new thing, the idea of the grated egg. But the first time I saw it, all I could think about was, like, your very formal, old-school caviar service. Oh, right, Where right. you would have finely grated egg white and finely grated egg yolk, but separate. So right. you could garnish each of your perfect little, you know, blini and your caviar. But now it's, like, for every man.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I mean, we, in culinary school— we had to pass hard boiled eggs through a tammy. Exactly. And we would use that to make the French deviled egg, which is an ouf farci. And even in restaurants, we would do that for our egg salad. We would use the large holes of a, a giant grater and just push the, the eggs through.
3: Oh. So, yeah,
1: so it's not it doesn't seem that new to me, but I really like the way that this video was constructed and I would 100% eat that.
3: All right, so final verdict
1: Rad Vad. Yay! Yay! And that's it for this week's episode of Borderline Salty.
3: You can find recipes and recommendations from this week's episode in the show notes.
1: And if you have a question or a fear you want us to help you through, you can always leave us a voicemail at 833-433-FOOD.
3: That number again is 833-433-3663.
1: Borderline Salty is an original production by Pineapple Street Studios. We're your hosts. I'm Rick Martinez.
3: And I'm Carla Lolly Music. You can find our social handles in the show notes for this episode.
1: Natalie Brennan is our lead producer.
3: Janelle Anderson is our producer.
1: Our managing producer is Agarenish Ashagre.
3: Our assistant producer is Mari Orozco.
1: Our head of sound and engineering is Raj Makija.
3: Mixing and engineering by Davey Sumner and Jason Richards.
1: Our assistant engineers are Sharon Bardalis and Jade Brooks.
3: Original music from our very own Raj Makija.
1: Additional music from Vincent Vega, Spring Gang, and Glovebox, courtesy of Epidemic Sound.
3: Legal services for Pineapple Street are provided by Bianca Grimshaw at Granderson deroche.
1: Our executive producers are Max Linsky and Jenna Weiss-Berman.
3: We appreciate Alexandra, Holly, Margarita, and Alex for calling in this week.
1: And thanks to you for listening. Talk to you next week.
3: Bye. Bye. Adios. Mwah,
1: mwah, mwah, mwah. Love you. Mean it. Mwah.
3: Holler at me. Ring a ding ding. Hello. I mean, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>